welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I have part two of Neville Goddard's lecture titled, Order Your Conversations Right. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I would highly recommend going back and listening to that. Okay, so with that, let's get started with part two of Order Your Conversations Right. Neville continues to tell his audience, I have seen so many things happen, and they never turn back, but forget. We have a very short memory. We do not remember when we set in motion the events or when we planted the seed. So if nothing comes into this world by accident, it is produced by some principle, and the principle is told in this talk tonight. And the principle is simply our conversation, our little simple inner conversations when we are alone. The conversation when you put when you are putting on a mask and meet someone at a cocktail party and you are all lying. Everybody is lying. You have a few martinis and this one lies, that one lies. Little do they know that what they are doing is a lie. But I don't mean that. I mean when you are alone. Knowing this principle it doesn't really matter if what hap- if what appears now is to be a lie. You know, an assumption, though false, if persisted in, will harden into fact. So now you are going to put that principle into operation. We will take an assumption. I will assume that things are as I want them to be. Now I will carry on a conversation based upon that assumption. And that controlled inner conversation will be possibly my greatest success. My greatest conversation ever. Far, far greater than the conversations that we hold at a dinner party. You sit down, and here is a dinner. You're not going to tell your host that thing is horrible, are you? But anyway, you wonder what on earth possessed her to make this. But you don't say it because that would be unkind. But you did say it anyway. You said it inwardly. But I'm speaking now of this productive principle. When you are alone and you know exactly what you want for yourself or for a friend or for the community, then what conversation would imply that you have yours? She has hers and the community has it. Well, carry on with that conversation. If this statement in the fourth chapter of Ephesians is correct, then it should prove itself in the testing, that it would put off my old nature, which refers to my former conversations. Don't just put it off, because I cannot live and avoid, but put on the new nature. If the old is related to my former conversations, well then my new nature must be related to my new conversation. See Ephesians 4:22 through 24 Well, I will start a new conversation, and I talk with my brother Victor and tell him of the success I am having. This is going to amuse him because he likes success. He loves success in the world of Caesar. He thinks that what I do, while he would not say it's insane, he doesn't understand it. He says, I have one thing to do in the world of Caesar. We are a large family, but I have no children of my own. I'm the one that's a mule, he says. All you fellows seem to be bulls, but I am a mule. I have no children. So I have to make it in the event you fellows will need it. Well, we aren't going to need it. But he keeps on making it. So he enjoys money. He enjoys making it. He enjoys actually doing things in a big way. 
He thinks in a big way. And he does it by inner conversations. And he started, I'd say, behind the eight ball when it was a poor white family in Little Barbados, or in any of the islands for that matter, because the white man who has it ignores the white man who hasn't anything. A white man in Barbados has to put on shoes. A Negro in Barbados can go without shoes. He can go without a jacket, and they will tolerate that. But they will not tolerate that from a poor, poor white man. So I know what I talk about. We were as poor as they come. Today, no one tops them in Barbados regarding money, and they all come to him for advice. Those who thought they had it, they come to Victor. They don't venture anything, not even the government, until they come to Victor. They value his opinion. He gets a piece of it all. If they want my advice, I'll take a piece of their stock. Give me a block of stock and you'll get my advice. So he has stock here, stock there, stock everywhere. And so that's Victor. He loves it. I tell him that I do my work alone and I love it. I love this as he loves making money. Fortunately for me, I don't have to go to him for advice. So here, I spoke of two men tonight, my father and my brother, and they do it by inner conversations. But the Bible supports it. If the Bible did not support it, I wouldn't tell you. But the Bible supports what they are doing. How they found it, I do not know. My father, the only book he ever read was the Bible. I wonder if he got it when he read it. When I wrote my first book, Your Faith is Your Fortune, I sent the first copy off to the press to my father and mother. When I wrote the inscription, I said, If there is such a thing as reincarnation, and I have to come back to this world again, I would ask for nothing greater than to have you two as my parents. So Daddy, because of that inspiration, started to look at the book. It has 26 chapters, and each chapter began with a quote from the Bible, so he closed the book. When I went home a few years later, I asked, Daddy, did you read my book? He said, Oh, why should I? You took 26 little verses from the scripture and wrote a book of 200 pages. I know the 26 verses. So that's how he said it. Why should I read it? I know the verses. And it's the one book he always read. Perhaps he did find it. I do not know. But we are told to alter our conversations, and if we do it, he will show us the salvation of God. Blake, whom I am always quoting, in his book, Jerusalem, he says, Oh, what have I said? What have I done? Oh, all-powerful human words. You realize that you cannot pull them back, so you said them. Then how are you going to pull them back? Now tonight, it shouldn't take you long if you know it's true, and I know it's true, to change the entire world if you put on a new record, and you can easily put on the new record. Just what would it be like if it were true? And if it were true, would anyone know? Yes, my wife would know it first, my daughter would know it, and then my circle would widen. Then my circle of friends would know it. Well, start with the one you know best first. My wife would know it. I share all things with her. And then my daughter would know it. So I carry on a conversation. So that it becomes a habit. Instead of going back into the negative, make it a positive statement. And try to make it so natural in yourself that it's easy to pick up that record and put it on. And see how it works in your world. It doesn't cost you anything. It costs nothing to do it. 
and this is what scripture teaches. And it cannot but return to you if you know who you are. And I am trying to convince everyone that I reach that they are God. It's a shock to them because they have been told that they are little worms. You aren't a little worm. You are God wearing a garment of flesh for educative purposes. But you are God. You have his name and he will not give his name to another. But he puts you through the furnaces of affliction to receive his name. You are going through the furnaces. As Blake says in the statement, Speaking of those who call God a non-existent being, he calls them fools as we are told in the psalm. The fool says in his heart, there is no God, Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1. But Blake calls the fool Babel. Babel says there is no God or son of God, that thou, O human imagination, O divine body, are all a delusion. But I know thee, O Lord, when thou arisest upon my weary eyes, even in this dungeon and this iron mill. Thou also sufferest with me, although I behold thee not. Blake from Jerusalem You cannot see your imagination, and he equates human imagination with the divine body of the Lord and the Lord. These three are one, in the eyes of Blake. In this marvelous poem, Jerusalem, So you can't see imagination. You see the fruits of imagination, so no one has ever seen God because you are the reality called imagination and you don't see imagination, but you see the evidence, you see the fruit of it. And the divine voice answers, fear not, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of time. Only believe in me that I have power to raise from death thy brother who sleeps in Albion. Blake from Jerusalem. So who is the brother? You are the brother. I am the brother. Humanity is Albion. And then buried in humanity is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this one is speaking, saying, I have power to raise from the dead thy brother who sleeps in Albion. But he has not for one moment denied the human imagination as a Lord. They are equated. They are all one. You have the Lord always with you. You can't take imagination and put it out there. Wherever you go, you are always imagining. You cannot leave the Lord behind you. You cannot sit here and wish imagination away as you can the body. I can stand here and assume that I am at the end of the room and imagine that I am looking at this one. But where am I? I am in imagination. I can look at the body as something that I've put away for a while. I return to it, but I can't put away imagination. I cannot get away from the Lord because being all imagination... I must be wherever he is in imagination. So if I now in imagination feel things as I desire to be, that's the Lord doing it. And because all things are possible to the Lord, I must believe in me. I must believe it is the Lord doing it, as we are told in the last words of David. Now these are the last words of David. The Lord is upon me. His word is upon my tongue. 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. Then he discovers that that's why he was victorious. He never lost a battle. When the giant put on the armor, and he had the sword, and he was a giant, and little David comes out only with five feathers, they were not stones. He took five. While five is the number of grace, and grace is God's gift of himself to man. What other armor does he need? 
other than the gift of God. So he goes on with that. What giant could stand before him when all he needs is the grace of God? So he goes and the giant comes down. So he realizes then that everything he did was done because he went in the grace of God. So wherever you are, you are in a bar that's a holy place. Why? Because you are there. If you go into any place that the world would judge harshly, it is holy because you are there. And you can sit any place in the world. You don't have to go into a church. You can sit at home in any room, sit in the garden, sit any place in this world, and just carry on a conversation with yourself, this controlled dialogue. This may turn out one day to be the most fruitful conversation that you've ever had. So we all need something tonight. We all do, even those who have a billion. They still want more, and I wouldn't judge them harshly. They want it. Let them have it. If they want more, because as Blake said, more, more is the cry of the fool. All or nothing. Blake from There Is No Natural Religion, second series. And I have covered the 50th chapter of Psalms tonight, and that's the chapter. You read it carefully. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, because the world is mine and all within it. Psalm 50.12 The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Psalm 50.20 But who is speaking? Asaph is speaking, and Asaph means to gather together. He has been recalled. He records all the history of Israel. From the famous 78th Psalm, he says, I will open my mouth in a parable, and utter dark sayings from a bold. Psalm 78, too. And he records the entire history of Israel, and how, in spite of all the great things the Lord did, Israel went astray to false gods. Then we come to the end, and David appears. The Lord awoke as out of sleep, like a man from strong drink, and he appoints David. But here is the entire story in a parable. The whole history of Israel is a parable. It is a story told as if it were true, leaving the one who hears it to discover its fictitious nature and then extract its meaning. So the entire history of Israel as recorded in scripture is not secular history, but it is divine history. So you have to find out what it means behind that story. And when you find out, it is the most thrilling thing in the world. It's all about you. As we are told in the 40th Psalm, in the volume of the book, it is all about me, Psalm 47. I have not restrained my lips, Psalm 49. I screamed it from the housetops when I discovered the whole thing was all about me. More and more is the cry of a mistaken soul. Less than all cannot satisfy man. Blake, Proposition 5 from There Is No Natural Religion, Second Series. The whole book is all about you. It's all about you. But it is adumbrated. The whole thing is an adumbration. Now when we come to the New Testament, it takes on a cubic reality. The old is a rough sketch, but the New Testament takes on a cubic reality, and it all takes place within you, the individual. Then you will realize the whole thing is all about you, everything in the Bible. It is not understood in the Old Testament because that is a foreshadowing. It is told in a not altogether conclusive or immediately evident way. When we come into the New Testament and he tells it all about the individual, that's not what they are looking for. They were looking for an external savior, 
one who would come and destroy a physical enemy of Israel. So that's not it. He comes from within. And this is what was meant in the very beginning of days. He comes to us as one unknown, but one who in the most mysterious manner lets the individual experience who he is. And when you experience it, you experience it as yourself. You are the one spoken of. Now, if all things are possible to him, remember now, you are the one spoken of in scripture. And if what I have quoted earlier tonight can be put to the test and proven it, or proven in the testing, don't hesitate to do it. You can speak. You have the two gifts spoken of by Hermes. And we are told that no mortal creature has it but man. And these are the gifts of mind and speech. So if you use them rightly, you will differ in nothing from the gods. And when you drop off the body and you quit it, these will be your guides. They will lead you into the troop of the gods and into the souls of those who have obtained the bliss. Uh, those who have attained to bliss. You will have the same mind. You will be using mind and you will be using speech. You will find all through scripture the words. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, 2, 9, 13, 2, 1, 11, 1, 14, 1, 16, 1, 18, 1, 21, 1, 31, 32, 1, 33, 1, 34, 1, 35, 1, 41, 46, 1, 47, 1, etc. The word of the Lord came unto Ezekiel. Ezekiel 1, 3, 3, 16, 6, 1, 7, 1, 11, 14, 13, 1, 15, 1, 16, 1, 17, 1, 18, 1, etc. <laughs> All these are the word of the Lord, and you are the one spoken of. So tonight, in a simple way, this is what I would do. I would be brutally frank with myself, and don't modify it. If there is no restraint on what God offers, and you have a desire, nothing is impossible to God. So know exactly what you want, and be honest with yourself. Now, if it were true, what would it feel like? And if it were true, could I restrain the impulse to talk about it? No, I couldn't. I would have to tell it. As we are told in Jeremiah, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as if it were, a burning fire. Shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah 29, Revised Standard Version. Well, do it. He has to talk about it when he discovers a principle that works and proves itself in the performance. Now, don't modify your objective. You know what you want. Well, that's it. Now, what would the feeling be like? And what would I say? And to whom would I say it? Well, now, carry on that conversation from the premise of the wish fulfilled and try to keep it until it feels natural. When it takes on the tones of reality and the feeling of naturalness, you've got it. The thing is working now. You can play it over and over as you play a nice record. If you like good music, you never tire of listening to it. You can play it every day and several times a day and never tire of good music, if you appreciate it. You could get tired of the be bebop, but how could you ever tire of the beautiful classical pieces? I know, I don't, so I could listen to them every day, and I do when I'm at home. We turn on our radio to a certain station, and it's 24 hours a day of classical music, KFAC, with very little advertising and a small little three-minute newscast on the hour. And then throughout the hour, unbroken hour, wonderful music, 
piano music between 9 and 10, the Beethovens and the Brahms and the Bachs for one solid hour, I just enjoy it. Feast upon it. While you can take a record, your own record, and do that. And then let it come back into this world bearing fruit. So I do hope you will take me seriously. You haven't a thing to lose and all to gain. That's why you are here. And that's why I have been sent to tell you. There's a law and there's a promise. The promise is going to come regardless. But while you are waiting for the promise, you can make life more comfortable with the use of the law. Because the law must be operated. We are the operant power. It will not operate itself. But the promise is coming. You can't stop the promise. The promise is that you are going to be God. That's the promise. You are going to wake up one day and know that you are God. And all the symbolism that confirms it will stand before you, and you'll know who you are. His son will call you father, and you will know that you are God when his only son calls you father. You will know that he is your son, and he'll know that you are his father. So that promise is coming. But while you wait for the promise, take the law and use it. I quoted very much this night on the law, which is the inner conversations. Use your inner conversations, because if you do, you will have the salvation of God. And because your former conversations were related to your old nature, and he tells you to put it off, you can only put off the old nature by putting off the old conversations, because they are related. The former conversations were producing the old nature, and if the nature is the principle upon which man depends for sameness of form in transmitted life, the same form is going to be transmitted until you change the form of conversations. When you put on the new record, the new conversations, you're going to change your world, and people will meet you and wonder what has happened to you. Why he now is moving in the most marvelous manner, things are just going perfectly for him. Why? He changed his nature. How did he do it? He changed his inner conversations. But you do know, or but do you know there are people? My mind goes back now to the last war, World War II, when this young man, a fine chap, an only child, and he told me quite innocently that he so hated Roosevelt that in the morning while he was shaving, he told him off. He told him exactly what he thought of him, bawled him out. I said, why would you do it? Don't you know you are only hurting yourself? He said, I know it, but oh, if I told you what a thrill I get out of it. You know he wouldn't change it? He so despised the man. He didn't know Roosevelt. He didn't know any member of the family. But he simply disliked him. And inwardly, not on Roosevelt, it worked on him. And he knew what he was doing. He didn't know that's one thing. But to know and not do it? That is just the opposite. Well, that is what he did. He said, why, Neville, the shows on Broadway today are $10 a seat. There is no show on Broadway that could give me the thrill of those 15 minutes in the morning when I shave. He just simply delighted in telling off somebody that he didn't even know. And if he thought for one moment he shouldn't do it, he said, well, let me finish the sentence anyway. Well, people do that. They know they are doing the wrong thing, and yet they've got to complete the sentence. It's a stupid thing. So I ask you to try it. But work it radically and go to the very root and put on the new record. You can do it. I warned you earlier, it is not the easiest thing in the world because we are creatures of habit. But when you catch yourself going back to the old record, just put on the new record again, and the new one will become just as easy to play and as natural to play as the old one is now. Now let us go into the silence.
Okay, now I will be here. Um, now we'll continues. Now I will be here the next five nights next week. Monday night will be the practical night, and what will be in the next four, I do not know. The titles are there, but how I will present them, I do not know yet. But Monday night will be a very practical one. I call tonight's a practical one. Now, are there any questions, please? A lady says, how could I know the difference between if I am daydream or daydreaming or if I have the real inner conversation? Neville says, well, my dear, try it. You start with a daydream anyway. The dress you are wearing had to first be imagined. People call all imagination a dream. It was first only imagined before it became what the world calls a fact. What is now known as something proven was first only imagined. This building we are here are in here, all the buildings in the city were only imagined. And all the workers that seem to be the active instruments to put them up, they are the unconscious instruments of men who only dream. The architects, they had their blueprint and their dream. And the workmen, they came out. All right, they are doing their job. And they seem so active. But they are simply the unconscious instruments of those men of imagination. You go into battle. Thousands are falling. They are the unconscious instrument of the men who plot the war. Are there any questions, please? If not, I will say good night. Okay, so that is the end of part two Neville Goddard's lecture titled Order Your Conversations Are Right. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I will see you guys in the next one. All right, be well. Everybody have a great day. Thank you so much.